Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. You know, I always like to get beneath what I think are overused words. And, and a word that I hear a lot these days is pivot. So our topic today is what does pivoting, given a changing business landscape, really mean? We're going to put that question to our former nominated member of parliament. He is presently chairman of ASX listed Retech Technology. His name is Calvin Cheng. Retech Technology is a technology solutions provider. They deliver corporate training online. And Calvin himself has made several necessary pivots, shall we say, in a varied career to adapt to what he calls a new never normal. Kelvin, how are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. Great to meet you. So let's find out about you through the lens of business. So prior to Retech, you founded a training company in China. You also founded an integrated media company with offices in China, Malaysia, Singapore. You were once Asia Pacific head of elite model management, and you recently exited a cryptocurrency exchange, ABCC. In between, of course, there was a political career uh, that you're quite known for. So our topic is pivoting for businesses. Calvin, what has been your personal approach to taking on change in your own life? Well, I think uh, pivoting is just a fancy word to adaptation. Um, I think all through history, I think uh, human beings have adapted to changes in their environments, as they say, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And a lot of the, the, the pivots that you mentioned uh, in the introduction of me uh, a while ago um, have happened during um, crisis, uh, including the dot-com crisis early on um, in 2000, the global financial crisis, um, the Asian financial crisis before that was a bit early for me. And right now we are in another crisis. So whenever there is a change in the environment, um, then certain harsh uh, circumstantial truths of business as well as personal circumstances change, and then we have to adapt. On that topic, uh, my favorite book is this book called Who Moved the Cheese? Which uh, oh, That's a great one, yeah. Who yeah, Moved My so, Cheese? Yeah, so <laughs> that, that, that was a book that I read very early on in my career, and actually that is uh, that that underlies the philosophy of of pivoting. And if you don't pivot, you starve and die. That is really interesting. So you're always, uh, you know, to use Google terminology, solving for something. Then, if you're looking for the cheese, you're solving for something in spite of your circumstances, right? I think it's more than that because we get used to habits, we get used to things that used to work. So mm. in, in in that very simple story, there were two mice, um, um, and and the, the cheese was always in one location for years and years. And all of a sudden, the maze changed. One one mouse um, continued going to the same place um, and the other mouse after a while decided to look for the cheese somewhere else and the mouse that continued going to the same place uh, um, starved and the other one prospered. So do you think critical thinking is, is key to being able to pivot, having that flexibility of mind to change Yes, mindsets? I think we need to be able to uh, recognize where things have changed and we need to be able to then uh, adapt and uh, move on and uh, I think we are we are in the middle of another big paradigm shift, uh, if if you want to use uh, jargon. And I think uh, businesses have to also um, realize, some, some businesses especially have to realize that things have changed and they need to move on, otherwise they will starve. 
So what was the, the change moment that led to Retech uh, being founded? You, your undergraduate degree is from Oxford in philosophy, politics and economics. Um, you, you actually merged one of your franchises, Lumina Luke Knowledge, with a Chinese firm called Retech. That was back in June 2017. So what were, what were you recognizing then that so led to Retech? That was a very interesting uh, story. So again, uh, uh, this underlies how... Uh, Theory and practice sometimes uh, diverge. When I took the franchise uh, uh, for a very large grooming school called John Robert Powers of China, so, so John Robert Powers is, 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 is a department school that trained people like Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly of Monaco, and I took it for China believing that uh, the Chinese being um, newly wealthy would want to buy department classes and learn how to dress and act the part and be groomed. What I didn't realize was that when people uh, start getting rich, they would rather spend $3,000 on an Hermes or Chanel bag than on department classes. <laughs> so um, I think things might be changing right now. So I think you need to go through two or three uh, iterations of being wealthy before you start looking at your soft skills. So when I realized that the market wasn't responding to what we were offering, I first pivoted to corporate training. So because if you can train high net worth individuals, you can train celebrities, then you can also train frontline corporate staff. Um, So we became a a corporate trainer. Uh, But that wasn't enough because corporate training offline couldn't scale. And... um, um, a friend of mine introduced an, an, an online uh, tech platform builder called Retech who had the technology platforms but didn't have the content. So I merged with um, uh, Retech, which was very good because in, in, in China you need a, 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 a reliable local business partner for things to succeed. And after I merged and became co-chairman and co-founder of the new and large group, um, I then took the entire thing uh, public on the Australian Stock Exchange. So Retech had the platform for e-learning. You came on to provide the content. I understand now you're taking Chinese, the learning of Chinese international. We are, but we are actually taking the learning of English uh, into into China in uh in a different way, which um, we benefited from during the pandemic. So what we do is that we stream um, expat native language teachers from Australia into classrooms in China, um, K-12 K to 12, um, um, classroom learning. So during the pandemic, all the expats um, had to leave China um, during the pandemic. So in the end, we became the only ones who could offer um, native language speaking teachers because we were streaming them live from Australia into classrooms in China. So in June 2017, Retech made an IPO uh, on the Australian Stock Exchange. Why Australia, not Singapore? Um, well, for, for various reasons. One is that um, for, for consumer tech, there aren't many comparables on the Singapore Stock Exchange, whereas uh, Australia has been very known to be a great boss for consumer tech IPOs. Secondly, Australia is also very known for training and education in, in, the, in, the, in the region. So, so we, we wanted the content as well as the expertise from Australia to be scaled 
into China, which has proven to be the right move, um, um, given that our subsidiary that we launched, which, which uh, uh, streamed live Australian English teachers into China, has boomed during the pandemic. Fascinating. So you have a wealth of experience when it comes to starting businesses and then turning it into a success. And you talked about doing this in the context of um, a crisis. So for listeners who are now tuned in and they want to start their own businesses during this pandemic, what do you say to them? I think it's great. I mean, in Chinese, uh, a crisis, I'm sure your readers have heard this before, that uh, the word for crisis is weighty, which is a combination of the words uh, danger as well as opportunity. So I actually, in a way, perversely look forward to crisis is because it's only during crisis that the opportunities come, that things change. So right now, there are huge disruptions in offline commerce. There are huge disruptions in logistics. There are huge disruptions in anything that has been forced to shut because of the pandemic. So if someone has the experience in those industries and they are able to spot all the opportunities, and I I can't spot these opportunities for for them, then they have to make the move right now to pivot because it is during crisis that new businesses especially can flourish. Interesting. But tell us about your experience of business in China. Can you give us some insight there into what's required? So one of the best, um, advice that was given to me before I went to China from a PRC friend was I asked him the same question uh, and he said that do in China think of what you would do in Singapore and when you go to China do the, do the opposite. Mm. It is a completely different universe. So for example I know it sounds cliche and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this before but um, the contract in Singapore, as well as in the international world, is always the end of a negotiation. But in China, the contract is the start of the negotiation. You cannot see the contract as the end of the negotiation. Mm. And um, relationships, again, it all sounds very cliched, but, uh, but relationships are very important. The, 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 the problem, I, I, I think, is that people hear this, this uh, advice and then take it at a very superficial value, uh, on, on a very superficial uh, uh, basis. So, for example, when they hear relationships, they think that the exchange of name cards is the, crea- is the creation of a connection or a, or a quancy. But actually, it isn't. It actually takes a lot, a lot of time. So, in China, work doesn't stop at 7. Work actually continues from 7 to 11 to 12. It's very tiring because you have to spend a lot of time going out, networking, having meals and having drinks and and actually building up these connections. Whereas in Singapore and even in, 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 in Hong Kong and, and, and in Australia, where I've now listed, at 6 or 7 o'clock, we, we finish work, we go back to our families, and, and that's it. But because of the importance of relationships in China, um, the evenings as well are so important in building up these business relationships. So what does that really mean, socializing and building these relationships? I mean, do, do businessmen want to be seen as individuals? Do they want to get, get to know you as a person? Or is it just really about um, socializing and on a very superficial level? It's actually more than a superficial level. You actually have to make deep friendships. So it doesn't take a few weeks. It doesn't take a couple of months. It takes years. So some of these people I'm doing business with, now in China, I've known for more than a de- more than a decade, mm-hmm. and the 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 the, 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 the trust and the, and, and the relationships become so deep that I do not have to go to China as much anymore because um, 
a phone call would 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 do. So it's 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 actually a very deep building of uh, of a relationship, and I, I would dare say even a even a friendship. Um, a, a lot of people in China uh, they do business with friends, whereas I think uh, in the international world, especially within the Western paradigm, people are very happy to do business with with people they do not consider as friends. Absolutely. It's fascinating insight. We're getting to know Calvin Cheng. He's chairman of Retech Technology, a former NMP. Our topic today is what does pivoting, given a changing business landscape, really mean? So I read, Calvin, that you say perseverance is a key part of the equation to pivoting. Can you share some examples from your own life? Sorry, can you say that again? Can you share some examples of, of this trait of perseverance, which you say is key to the idea ah, of pivoting? Okay. I think uh, the, the, the term that uh, VCs and business writers like to use uh, in in, in uh, jargon is grit rather than perseverance. But I think it's uh, it's uh, it's the same thing. So uh, I guess a, a very good example is that I lived through two crises so far. One was the dot com bust, where a dot com that I had um, and I built uh, when I was twenty five years old that was uh, worth like forty fifty million dollars at its peak came crashing down, and I. And I became almost almost bankrupt. Um, and then um, the second time was I also lived towards, uh, through the great financial crisis. And that was actually my first attempted IPO. So back then I had an integrated media company where I had magazines, I had uh, events company, and I had model agencies. And we were actually filing for uh, an IPO in Singapore. And our prospectus was written, we had our underwriters, and then there was a GFC, Lehman Brothers collapse, and the IPO had to be pulled. So both times I had to, um, and of course the second time became easier than the first, because after you've lived through one crisis, your your, uh, ability to handle stress, um, as as they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm. So your ability to handle stress um, increases. So both times I I had to I had to pivot I had to I had to find alternative sources of finance and just to survive the the first time I actually had to because I was very young back then didn't have much savings or or connections I had to actually go to my parents to to borrow money so that that was very very hard back in the year 2000 during the the great dot com boot, uh, uh, bust the second time did they give it to you did they give you what yeah. you needed. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, um, it wasn't much. It was like uh, only like ten thousand dollars for for me to pay off some some stuff, and mm-hmm. I had three or four credit cards that I had to use to to borrow on, which 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 which, which uh, burdened me with debt for quite a few few years. But um, um, uh, you you just have to grit your teeth and. Uh, Soldier on, and 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 I think that a lot of a lot of uh, things in life, it um, the the rewards go to the last man standing rather than the most talented man. Really interesting. If we take a step back now at the big picture view of this changing ecosystem businesses are grappling with, what do you think this notion of Singapore beating the pandemic? I know you you read a blog or you wrote something about this. What do you think Singapore beating the COVID pandemic really means? I don't think we've beat it yet. It's a marathon and not a sprint. You're not going to beat it until um, the vaccine is widely available. Mm. I mean, Singapore 
I mean, again, uh, cliche, but I think during the pandemic, it's become more acute. Uh, 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 people become more acutely aware that Singapore is just a very small dot, very small country. So we are completely dependent on the global ecosystem. So unless the world beats it, we haven't actually beaten it. So mm-hmm. I think um, we have to, again, continue soldiering on. Um, right now, our biggest problem it's a problem for all governments, but um, for us, it's especially acute. It's balancing lives with livelihoods. And I say well, uh, the reason why, I think I, I, posted, I posted this on my Facebook again last night. We do not have a domestic economy. And that changes every single equation in terms of policy making. China can afford to close their borders because they have a huge domestic economy that that domestic tourism is booming like never before because every single cent, the billions of dollars that would have been spent in Milan, in Paris, in America, in Singapore, uh, is now being spent in China, right? So all the hotels are fully booked up and China is not, it's one country, but there are many countries in one. So in, in the sense that if you want to go to a tropical resort, you go to Hainan Island, Sanya, you want to go skiing, you go to Heilongjiang, you want to go to nature, you go to Lijiang, there are tons of historical cities. China's uh, uh, domestic tourism is booming, the airlines are surviving because the the domestic uh, uh, routes are are still thriving, but Singapore doesn't have that. How many times can you go to Pulau Ubin and Sentosa, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, staycations, I mean, we have to beg Singaporeans to do staycations, the hotels have to cut prices for them to do staycations, I mean, it's, it's, it's staying at home and staying in a hotel. I mean, how many times can you choose the hotel option? So we have to open our borders. But once we open our borders, that means that the risks are going to increase. But once the, and, and because of that, we can afford to take fewer chances uh, in terms of domestic risk. This is a risk matrix. Whereas in China, because they have shut their borders, they can afford to take more risk um, internally and control and beat the pandemic domestically. So right now in China, people are not wearing masks anymore. The clubs are packed. Everything is normal. But that's because they've they've shut themselves off from the rest of the world. We can't do that. So we have to open our borders uh, to even more countries. We have to thus be able to balance that with taking fewer risks domestically and it's very very difficult for us we are faced with with circumstances that bigger countries are not faced with so where do businesses lie in this matrix of risk that you talk about i mean what do businesses do you think need to understand about navigating this new normal so putting on my politics hat i think we need to understand that we are in this together so uh, for example, the nightlife operators in Singapore will continue when we move to phase three to face restrictions, but they have to understand that their sacrifice means that people in the tourism industry then will be able to stand a chance of even surviving because they need borders to be opened. But if we open borders, that means that we can afford to take fewer risks domestically. So some domestic businesses will still face restrictions in order for the hard-hit industries like aviation and tourism to have a chance. Speaking of your political hat, you are an NMP, nominated Member of Parliament in Singapore's 11th Parliament. So 
has your time in politics impacted your business approach at all? Uh, no, I keep that rather separate. Um, I, um, and um, I think um, if you look at my career right now, I hardly have, had, have any businesses in Singapore. Um, I think it would. I think it's, I think it would be the other way around that my businesses have have impacted my my political values. So, for example, I now know how small and difficult it is to 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 do this to to to, to be Singapore, right? Um, um, and um, um, especially right now in the in the in the debate around. Uh, Foreign workers about employing foreigners. Um, I, I posted this also during the the general election that 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 that, that, that just passed. That um, uh, we need we need to have foreign um, um, talent because um, Singapore just doesn't have the ability to employ people that we need because of the skill. So in my industry, technology, a very good example is uh, technology programmers, coders, mm. software programmers. Out of NUS and NTU, we probably, our graduates are probably on par with the Indian or maybe uh, the Chinese programmers, but two, two to three years down, they are way behind. Why? Because they haven't had the opportunity to work on large-scale projects. So they do not have the experience to build platforms that can scale to thousands, hundreds of thousands, and even millions. So, for example, my biggest client in China has got 1.2 million people, which is Ping An Insurance. That's, more, that's almost half the number of Singaporeans in, uh, that, are, that are living here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean uh, uh, um, in terms of citizens. Um, recently, I was looking at uh, an, 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 an investment, uh, uh, an Indian educational technology platform that that piloted in Singapore. When they piloted in Singapore, um, in terms of live streaming, the, the maximum number of students they had on their platform was about 100, 150. And they thought that the system was robust enough, they brought it to India uh, to pilot with a school there. On the first day, there were a thousand simultaneous connections and the system crashed. Mm. Not because they did anything wrong, but because systems have to be load tested and in, in and in singapore because we are serving hundreds of people we do not our our, our, our people of us do not have the experience of building platforms that can serve uh thousands tens of thousands millions of, about, yeah. of people not because they are there they do not have the talent they just do not have the experience similarly if you are going to be a regional or global talent you need to go to larger markets because Singapore exists on a very small scale. We are a bubble. Things work here. You, know, you might go, you might, you might be able to climb to the top of the, of the totem pole in Singapore, but it's just 5 million people. You, you do not have the experience to manage large scale organizations that you do if you go to China. So you, can, so you cannot be a global talent if you're only sitting here in Singapore. So I would ask Singaporeans to go out there and make yourself a global talent. I just read an article about how the co-CEO of uh, Ping An is actually a Singaporean woman. Mm. Right? And she was ranked number two in the Forbes power list for women globally.
And she is someone that Singaporeans can take as a role model. Are you meeting more Singaporeans as you do business in China? Are more Singaporeans like you yoking your success there to China? There are very few of us. I mm. think the problem is that Singapore is too comfortable. So people do not want to venture out. And I think that will be our bane. That is going to be a huge problem for our young people because they, they, they are set here thinking that we are, we are living in Disneyland and they do not want to venture out. If they don't venture out then, and then they, and on top of not venturing out, they, 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 they don't want foreigners to come in. I think that's just silly. Right? Because whether foreigners come in or not, we are going to be, be competing with foreigners. So they don't want to venture out. They don't want foreigners to come in. They are behaving like, like ostriches with heads in the, in the sand. They will go extinct if they don't do that. Well, there might be a sector that thinks that, but Singapore has always been plugged into the world. As you say, you know, our success has been linked to networks um, that, right. that reach the entire world. So to some extent, I think Singapore feels like a global city and that might contribute. We need to be. Mm. We need to be a global city and we need to be global citizens. And we can never, ever turn inwards. Well, fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for letting us into your thinking processes, Calvin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank He's you. Calvin Cheng, chairman of Retech Technology and former NMP. We've been discussing what pivoting, given a changing business landscape, really means. I'm Michelle Martin. This is Singapore's most influential radio station, Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.